Welcome to the Teaching Journeys podcast with Dave Roberts. A unique skill all humans have is the ability to share information across generations. And the Teaching Journeys podcast does just that. It creates learning opportunities with each amazing guest with a goal that each episode makes a positive impact on people worldwide. Before we hear from today's guest, please share this podcast with your family, friends, and colleagues. And don't forget to leave a rating, review, or both. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Teaching Journeys podcast. I am your host, Dave Roberts, and today it is my pleasure to have with me all the way from down under Australia, uh, Kaylee Grace. Kaylee, welcome to the Teaching Journeys podcast. I am very, very happy to have you as a guest today. Thank you for having me. I am super excited to be here. Well, I'm glad because we, sounds like from your background, we have a lot to cover, but just for our audience who does, who does not know who you are, give us a, some brief background, some brief bio about yourself. Who is Kaylee Grace? Uh, probably the easiest way to put that is I am at the moment, probably one of the most messed up and most balanced person that I know at exactly the same time. (laughs) I know that's a bit weird, but I, I sit a lot in my trauma and in my emotions and in my hurt and in my pain while I equally sit as strong as I can in my connection to non-physical, in my connection to source, universe, God, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I kind of sit in the middle and I'm looking at all of it at the moment. So I'm looking at my thoughts, looking at my feelings, looking at my connection and looking at myself. And they're four different aspects. So to me, they're not, they're not one thing. And I know people say we are all one. It's like, yes, however, within that one, I really firmly see now that there are four individual aspects. And when you can separate them out and sit as an observer of them, as opposed to living in them, inside of them, which is where I was, life becomes a lot more challenging and a lot easier at the same time. (laughs) It's a real paradox. Yeah, it is. But I, but I think, you know, one of the things you said is that you live with the parts that are are not balanced in the parts that are. I think we all live with the yin and yang of ourselves anyway. We have to embrace both sides of that mm-hmm. if we're, we're going to truly embrace authenticity. And the four separate parts that you talked about of, your, of yourself, I, I, it's multidimensional. I mean, we're, I think as human beings, we have different subcategories or different categories that we engage in every time. There's some that are grounded in the physical world. There's others that are grounded in the spirit that are are steeped in the spiritual world. And it's a matter of just finding that balance and seeing where everything fits. And together, looking at all of those parts that you've identified can create a greater awareness, not only of ourselves, but ourselves in relationship to the world that we choose to live in and orchestrate, particularly after catastrophic loss or life-altering change. Yes, yes. And I have to say that that's the loss that I went through It was probably the worst time of my life ever. I was face down in the mud with a truckload of mud being piled on top of me. I had no idea how I was going to get out. I couldn't see the light. There was no light. It was, it was dark. It was dark. 
And I, over the last almost nine years, it's nine years in about, well, probably three weeks actually, um, I've had, I've really had to change every single aspect of what I believed about myself and face a lot too. The biggest thing for me has been I've had to face so much about my life that I had been ignoring and avoiding and disassociating from and distracting from. It's incredible how many different things that I thought were normal I realized were actually distractions and how much I was trying to avoid me. Yeah, and I think particularly, I think one of the hardest things that we need to do for ourselves after any type of life-altering event, is take that deep dive into all aspects of ourselves. And what I've said, and I don't, I don't know if you would agree with this perception, but for me, the, the greatest spiritual work I did was not necessarily the, the prettiest spiritual work. It, it involved in me taking a look at every aspect of myself and determining what parts of myself needed to change, which parts of myself needed to to. Um, you know, fade away in the background in order for me to re-engage in, in the world after after my life-altering loss with the transition of my daughter over 20 years ago. So, um, and I think any type of life-altering change demands that we do a review at any age and say, what kind of a world do we want to live in and what type of a person do we want to be? And I'm, again, paraphrasing that from Neil Peart, the late great drummer of Rush, who coined that phrase when he was dealing with his own catastrophic losses. Yeah, the deep, the, it's interesting when the loss of somebody external to us creates this almost loss of the self. And that, that was something I, I've had to face a few times, which is realizing that each time somebody passes away, I have to, I'm not only grieving the loss of them, but I'm grieving the loss of the person that I was with them. And then how do I, how do I become like, like, how do I become whoever I'm meant to be now that that person is not here? Because my identification, especially when it comes to grandparents or parents, um, my mom and dad have both passed on. And it was that, it was grieving the loss of my mum was hard, but having to grieve the loss of who I was with her. And it was interesting because... I realized that my whole relationship with my mum, my mum was actually my foundation. So my foundation wasn't founded on safety and trust and love like most people. My foundation was my mum and I didn't know that until she got sick. And then when she passed away, my entire foundation just disappeared. And so I, I was like free falling. There was nothing, there was no ground there was no worth. There was nothing for me to stand on because nothing had been created. I hadn't created my life around me. My parents hadn't created a life for me that was based on safety, trust, and love. My life was based on my mom, my dad, but not so much my dad because he passed away when I was 30. And so, yeah, it's, it's a real challenge when you all of a sudden realize you're here, the people have passed on that your entire existence was based on them. And it happens a lot, especially with you know, people who lose their parents or people who lose their kids where their, their whole worth is wrapped around their kid or is wrapped around their parents. And then all of a sudden you're there with nothing. I'm no one. I don't exist without this person. So who am I without this person? And it's a really, really dark place to come back from. What was the process for you to redefine 
the relationship with yourself. And in doing so, did you find that it helped you transform the relationship with both of your parents after they transitioned or passed away or, or, or died, however you conceptualize their final exit? Uh, it has been my own personal journey through hell is the best way I can put it. It has been horrible and horrendous. And because I had to, I was not only grieving the loss of my mom, I was also a a mom. So my daughter was four months old when we found out that my mom was going to pass away. She wasn't meant to make it till my daughter's first birthday, but she went until my daughter was three. And so I'm, I'm here as a single mom holding a newborn baby, getting that I'm actually not going to be doing this with my mum around. I was all prepared to be a single mum. I wanted it. I made that choice. But I, I, I didn't know it was going to be without my mum. And I didn't know at the time how much I depended and how much I was addicted to my mum and how much I was a victim to my mum. And so when she passed away, the process actually started before she passed away. It started when I found out that she was dying and then I ended up with a really, really severe eating disorder that almost ended me. Um, and that has been a rough journey back from that has been part of my health. But once mum passed away and I realised, oh shit, my entire life is wrapped around this human being. I don't know who I am. I don't know how to stand. I don't know how to make decisions. I don't know how to think for myself. I don't know how to make money. I don't know. I don't know how to exist on this planet without her because she was me. Like I was, she raised me to just be this codependent victim, not on purpose. I don't, I don't have any resentment or animosity towards her for doing it because I understand why her life was that way, why she needed me to play out that role. And I understand why I played out that role, but to come back from it, it has been, it has been really hard because I've had to sit in the realization that I don't know how to feel happy. I don't know how to feel joy. I don't know how to feel love. I don't know how to feel any of the good emotions. All I feel is sad. All I feel is gray, empty, complacent. Um, And also having to face all the trauma from my teenage years and my 20s and my 30s. It's kind of, I did a lot of work before I got pregnant with my daughter. I did a lot of surface level onion work where I just went and peeled back a lot of the onion layer and I thought I had actually done the work and I thought I was in a really great place so then I made the decision to get pregnant have a baby and go yes this is awesome but I I hadn't even like I hadn't even touched the surface <laughs> and now I really feel like I um I went and and still am in the core of it so I am no longer face down in the mud. I no longer have a pile of mud on top of me, but I'm, I'm standing, I'm more standing next to the mud, looking at it going, man, that was, I never want to go through that again. I never want to try and figure out who I am again, but it is, it's not a fast journey and it's only been eight years old. So eight, my daughter's nine in about two weeks. And then obviously we found out four months after. So it's about eight and a half months since I found out mom was dying. And it's only been five years since she passed. Um, almost six years. And so it's, it's still 
this unraveling of who do I want to be in the world? How do I want to present myself in the world? How do I hold those parts of me that are so scared about life, scared about humans, scared about what life can do to me, scared of this physical body, scared of what this actual physical body has the potential to do to me. And that, that it's all these little unravelings of really interesting things of going, yeah, I get why I'm scared of my physical body because as a child I fell over and it hurt. I broke my arm. It hurt. I ended up in hospital on my own because my mum had to look after my sister and she had to, still had to go to work. So I was left at the hospital like most kids on their own. Um, it's all these little moments where I fell over and I scraped both my knees like on the gravel, just grazed the skin off both my knees. It's all these tiny little moments where I realized I had that made me not feel safe being in this physical human body. And then I had all these external experiences with all the people in my family and school teachers bullying me and friends who ended up becoming my bully and my sibling ended up being my biggest bully of all time. And my parents enabling all of this around me going, well, now I don't feel safe with human beings because if my, if my family can do this to me, then what can people who aren't my family do to me? So now I don't feel safe with humans and I don't feel safe in my physical body and I'm being raised to not be me. I was, I was punished a lot for being me. I was punished a lot for being the happy, joyful kid that I was. That was, that was a punishable offense in my family because it just didn't make sense <clears throat> to the rest of my family. And so all of a sudden I don't feel safe being me either. So here I am at whether it was 43, 42, 43, looking at my life going, oh shit, I don't feel safe in my body. I don't feel safe being me because I don't even know who I am and I don't feel safe with other humans. So what am I, what am I doing here? I don't understand why I'm here. What's the point? And I went through a lot of that of, I don't get why I'm here. I, I don't, I don't get the point. And I think if I hadn't had my daughter, I don't know if I would still be here. I have these moments in life where I've gone to some really dark places and there have been specific things that have kept me here. And I look back and I go, far out, man. I have been through the, to those dark places a few times and thank God there was something that, that made me stay. But it, it still has these hard moments because I'm, I'm still on that journey. I am further ahead. So the, the, uh, the blood curdling panic attacks and nightmares I used to have have stopped. I've found myself through an element of safety where I feel safe. I feel safe in this human body. I feel safe on this earth. I feel safe from harm. And that has been a big part of my healing journey is finding the safety. That was, that was, that was the fundamental flaw that I needed to create for myself was I need to feel safe. That's the first thing I need to do. And then through feeling safe, that has naturally dissipated so much, like the panic attacks, the nightmares, um, the not being able to go out, not being able to socialize with people, not being able to have conversations, not being able to work. Like it's kind of, it's, it's softened a lot of that. But there are still these elements where, uh, I'm not all the way through because I'm still not 100% sure 
who I am. Like, who, who am I in this world? So I see, I still sit in that space of, I still don't really know who I am. I, I know I have a journey and it was horrible. And I know a lot of people are on the journey and don't know how to get from where they are to where they want to be. So there's that opportunity to share the story. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a challenge. Like it's, no, I don't, I don't think I signed up for this. I really don't think I signed up for this life when I came here. <laughs> you, you know, Kayla, it's funny you said that because I was just thinking if our souls contracted for the experiences that we were going to have in this lifetime, there are times that I looked up in the sky after the transition of my daughter and said, what the hell is my soul thinking? Why would I even consider contracting for these type of challenges? But I've looked at everything that has happened to me, both good or bad, has been for the overall evolution of my soul. To get to that point was very difficult. But, you know, it's, it's, it's getting easier and easier and easier. But it, um, in the beginning, it was, it was a challenge to even want to go there. And the other thing that I started thinking about, particularly when you mentioned about addiction, I, I look at the 12-step program and I look at step four, which is for individuals with substance use disorder to take a fearless and searching moral inventory of themselves. And I'm thinking, my goodness, how difficult I had to do that. And it was difficult as hell for me to have to take a look at all parts of myself and say, okay, this is, this is where I went wrong. This is who I hurt. This is what I, I may need to do to make amends. And this was just as a normal life review after a very catastrophic event. But for me, I think if, you, if a person is not ready to do that in the early stages of their own, own addiction or even the middle, middle to, to later addiction, they're going to set themselves up for relapse because they're going to look at themselves and say, yeah, this is me. And there are parts of me that I don't like. And if that individual doesn't have the coping skills to realize that the parts of them that they don't like had something to teach them, then they're, they're going to be setting themselves up for a lot of hurt and relapse. And, um, you know, I just started thinking about the, the fearless and searching moral inventory and parallel that in many ways to the work you did with after your own, uh, losses and challenges. Yeah. It's, um, it's an interesting journey that you really need to take responsibility for. And that is, that is hard. It is hard to think that you are where you are and you are the way you are because of you. Because there's so much in the external world that we can blame. We can blame our parents. We can blame our siblings. We can blame our aunts, uncles, school teachers, the government, our job partners, friends, but ultimately I learned a long time ago that sitting in blame is pointless. It, there, there's absolutely no power in blame and it does not matter what has happened to you. If you sit in blame, you're powerless to create any form of change. But if you take a responsibility of your role or if you take a responsibility of how this was created for you, or you sit, you're open enough to go, what is it in me that created this? And I've had some horrendous experiences over the years. And it's taken a minute for me to really sit back and go, oh, what was it in me that created this? Like how, 
how is it my fault that that guy did that to me? Or how is it my fault that my mom was an alcoholic? How is it my fault that my dad was just an asshole? How is any of that my fault? It's like, well, hang on a minute. It may not be your fault, but you're an adult now. So how can you take responsibility for how you feel about what happened? And that, for me, has been the way forward is taking responsibility for how I feel about what happened, not taking responsibility for what happened because it's not my fault. But certainly empowering yourself to take responsibility for your feelings and, you know, doing the work necessary to channel those feelings, you know, perhaps in a more positive pursuits or reframe those feelings or reframe your relationship to the event, whatever it's going to take for you to, uh, to continue to move forward and manage those, those negative moments in your life. The only way to do that is to take responsibility for how you feel. Mm -hmm. You can't take responsibility for what other people did to you. Um, you can't take responsibility for, I can't take responsibility for my mom's drinking. My, my family made it my fault and they did their darndest, which is why it was so hard to take, to let go of responsibility, um, and to let go of the blame because that's what I was raised with. Well, this is your fault. You need to be responsible. Oh, okay. So that's normal. Let's blame. Who, who do I blame then? If you're blaming me, who do I blame? And it becomes this pattern of blame. But when you, uh, it, it took me a bit. I remember this one day where I was standing and I just went, damn, I need to put my big girl knickers on and become an adult and take responsibility for how I feel about me. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you can start to create change. Yeah. And I think the more responsibility that we can take mm -hmm. for our own actions, the more empowered we become. Yeah, the more we're able to to move through challenge. And I think it's the same with with individuals and substance use <clears throat> disorder that I worked with. If they could take responsibility for their part in, in any of the any of the development of their own addiction or how they saw the world. The work I did was minimal. It was just kind of just keep making sure they kept on course. The joys of going through this work is um <clears throat> when you're squashing parts of you that you don't want to face, which is the grief. And then you start talking about it because <clears throat> grief sits in your lungs. I get a, I get a cough and it's like, you need to face the grief for just a little bit more than what you are. <laughs> it's, a, it's amazing how our body kind of informs us of what we need to do with our, you know, with our mind and, and, you know, uh, emotions and behavior. It's, it's a, it's really interesting how our body informs all of that at times. Yeah, it is. And I think I, um, you can never be prepared for how much pain you go through when somebody passes away. They kind of glorify it in TV and movies. They make it seem like you take a year or maybe a year and a half or two and then all of a sudden you just, you bounce back and then someone comes to rescue you and life changes and it's amazing. But for some people, grief takes a lot longer than that. For some people, it's, it takes longer. It's not just, uh, and like I said 
at the beginning, it's not just missing the person that's passed away. It's missing that part of you, missing that person that you were when you were with that person. That has been the hardest, one of the hardest things I've had to deal with is missing that person because it's, you have to create an entirely new human being. You have to become an entirely different person to who you have been for however long you've been that person for. And whether it's you've had a kid for a couple of months or a couple of years and you identify as a mom or a dad, now all of a sudden that kid has passed away and, well, now you, you can't, if it's your only child, well, now you can't identify as a mom or a dad anymore. So you have to re-identify yourself. Or if you're a daughter or a son and your parents pass away, well, now all of a sudden I can't identify as a, an actual daughter because my mom and my dad have both passed away. So it's, it, it's interesting. I don't think people understand unless they've actually gone through loss and grief. And when my mom was passing away, I had two friends that I was, that were my two best friends. And about two weeks before mom passed away, they ended their friendship with me. And this is, uh, I've been, I had been watching my mum pass away for three years. Like it took her three years to go and it was inevitable that she was going. And yeah, two weeks before that she passed away, they ended their friendship with me. And when mum passed away, all of a sudden I'm now having to figure out, well, I've just lost my two best friends. So now I don't know who I am without them. Now I've lost my parent. I don't know who I am without her. People don't understand the level of grief that, that you can go through, especially if you come from a parent who was an addict or if you yourself are an addict because there are elements of you as a human being that is addicted to the people that are in your environment keeping you where you are or, or creating who you are. <clears throat> I mean, if you're a drug addict, there's an element of your entire family that has been part of that creation. And when they pass away, all of a sudden you don't have that, you don't have that enabler or that disapprover or that punisher or whatever they are for you. They don't exist anymore. And this is a whole part of grief that I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk about is the re-identification of yourself. And that for me has been the roughest part of this entire experience is that re-identification of myself. And, you know, a couple of things that you mentioned about the grief process, it's, it's, it's a very circular process. Um, the second year I have discovered for myself and others that I have spoken with tends to be worse than the first year because the reality of the second year kicks in, in terms of this is my life moving forward, God or the divine source or the creator is not going to come down and give me my life back. Mm -hmm. Um, it's. This is it. This is what's going to be my life moving forward. And, and how do I proceed with that? And I, I think the other thing that you had mentioned is a redefinition of self. And, it, and that's something that needs to be talked about because every loss that we experience changes who we are yeah. because the relationships that we have are different. Those, those, <clears throat> those relationships, whether they're toxic or whether they're healthy, have defined who we are. And now it's rebuilding our assumptions about how do we move you know, through the world and in, in, in doing a different dance 
with those members in my family and without these other without these other individuals in my life. You grieve that that loss of yourself, whether good or bad aspects of that. That those are those like those associated losses that occur as a result of grieving the physical loss of the loved one as well. So you have a variety of different things, which makes grief such a complex a complex process to go through, from my perception, Kaylee. It is really complex, but it's also something that I don't that I don't think I've ever really seen covered. They they're not um they don't cover this stuff in the movies. Like I said, they glorify no. it. They make it seem so easy and so simple. And I remember before my mum passed away, for years I would think, oh, man, life is going to be so much easier when she's gone because all of a sudden I can do these things that I can't do because she's alive and, and how in my mind life was going to be easier. But what I didn't realise was that how addicted I was to the hit that I got from her. So where alcoholics have their, their hit from their alcohol and drug addicts have their hit from their drugs and the smokers have their hit from the cigarettes. I, w- I was an addict to the energy that my mom provided me. And it, it was like my dealer disappeared the day she passed and I had to go cold turkey without even realizing that I had a problem. It's kind of like the alcoholic where every, all of a sudden the government declares that alcohol doesn't, you know, isn't allowed anymore. They don't realize they have a drinking problem until they can't actually get the thing that they need. Mm -hmm. Um, I was that exact same kind of experience of, and, and it was, it was intense. It's hard to, there were so many aspects in it because I, I had to admit that I was addicted, that I had a problem. It's, it's so different to being an addict. I had to admit I had a problem. I had to admit that I was addicted to that hit that my mom kept giving me, that whenever I started to feel just a little bit good about myself, I would pick up the phone just to get that, just to get that punishment or that criticism or that, oh, yeah, that's right. This is, this is the frame that I live in. I'm meant to live in this frame of feeling bad about myself and when that stopped it's like well this doesn't make sense now I can't feel good about myself because now my mum's not here and I don't want to feel good about myself because that that doesn't make sense to me and then on the journey of trying to figure out well how can I feel happy like crap I don't even know what that is I don't think I've ever felt happy because my whole patterning with my with being raised was to feel bad about myself. Yeah, it's almost as if you learned that feeling bad is actually equivalent mm-hmm. to feeling good. And there's a related story that I have about that that kind of segues or dovetails nice off of what you described. One of the first clients I ever worked with, this was a long time ago, back in the 80s, was a middle-aged woman. She had a history of intimate partner violence, of being the victim of intimate partner violence, being physically abused as a child, sexually abused as a child. She had no self-esteem. Her her esteem was basically outer-centered. It was If everybody thought she was great, she felt great. If everybody thought she was not great, she acted accordingly. She was doing some really, really good work and treatment, and I was remembered that. I was in the staff lounge. I was cooking up some dinner. And she barges in, sat down in 
the table, started crying, looked at me and said, Dave, I'm feeling good. What's wrong with me? Because she had felt negatively for so long. She didn't know what feeling good was like. She didn't think she deserved to feel good. And if she was going to feel good and her thinking was, when's the other shoe going to drop? Or if she got into a relationship with somebody who loved them, loved her unconditionally, where there was no, I'll love you if you do this for me. She began to, to question it. She began to self-sabotage it. She would do things like she would act like an asshole, basically. She would have an affair. She would drink. She would make herself look so undesirable to that person that they would break up with her. And then she would be stuck in the shame and guilt spiral asking, why did I do that? But it was, it was, a, it was a different set of rules that she did not know how to navigate. So she went back to something that though it was chaotic, it was still very comfortable and very easy for her to to uh, navigate that chaos. It was normal. And it was absolutely normal. It, it was her normal. But then from the uh-huh. outside world looking in, people go, that's not normal. So then the questioning mm-hmm. comes, but yeah, that's hurting. And I get that. It's hard. My normal is to feel unhappy. My normal is to feel bad about myself. My normal is to believe that I'm not worth living. My normal is to believe that I I don't deserve a good partner. I don't deserve kind people in my life. I don't deserve any of that. That's my normal. And so every day I have to kind of challenge that in some ways, but also sit in a massive space of compassion and appreciation that there are these parts inside of me that created such a protective mechanism to keep me to keep me safe and it's these parts that at some point decided if they keep me feeling bad about myself then nothing anybody does outside of me is going to make me feel bad because i already feel bad like I already sit in the mud. Nothing anyone can do when I'm already face face first down in the mud is they can double mud on me, but so what? I'm already doing it to myself. So it creates this element of protection and safety and, and it just makes it normal. But then when you want something else and you want to create something different and you sit back and you suddenly realize, hang on a minute, this is not normal. This is, this is horrible. This is, I don't want to live like this every day. I don't want to spend the rest of my life living like this, believing that I should actually feel bad about myself every single day. I can't live like this because when you've done it for long enough, you all of a sudden come to a point where you go, well, I don't want to have friends. I don't want to have family. I don't want to work. I don't want to live. I don't want to eat. I don't want to drink. I just want to sit in my bubble of hell and not participate. But who wants to live like that? But that's the pattern. But when the pattern gets Mm -hmm. big enough, it really pushes you into this horrible space. And the, I guess the evolution of the consciousness inside of us, like as we were talking right at the beginning, it's, you know, our soul was here for a reason for expansion. And I sit back and sometimes when I hear people say, the worse your life is, the more amazing it's meant to be. It's like, damn, Jesus. Where, where, when I get to that point, I'm going to feel like I'm sitting on a rainbow of unicorns and daisies and <laughs> I'm going to sit there and go, I don't know what to do from this space because this is incredible. 
But yeah, when you're normal, when you're normal is to feel like crap, but you don't want to feel like crap. The journey is is coming and and making that decision. It's almost every minute of every day in the beginning. And that's how it started for me. It was every minute of every day I had to make a new decision. I had to look at it and go, in this moment right now, I don't mm. want to feel like this. In this mm. moment right now, this is how I want to feel. So can I feel this way in this moment? I'm not making a declaration I'm going to feel this way for the rest of my life, but can I feel it in this one minuscule moment right now? And so for me, and I don't think I ever answered your question of how did I get past it? It was one moment and then it was one moment and then it was one moment and then it was one moment and it was making these constant choices over and over and over and over and over again to make that one moment feel different to what the moment before felt like. And it is kind of like this back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and it was to a point where I would wake up in the morning and feel like a worthless sack of shit. I would go through my day feeling that way. I would go to sleep feeling that way. Then I would have nightmares and I would have panic attacks and I wouldn't sleep. And then I'd wake up and I'd do the whole thing again. Now I sleep nine to 11 hours a night because I normally hop into bed with my daughter and fall asleep. And I don't wake up anymore to panic attacks or nightmares. I don't have, that's not part of my reality anymore because I created the safety that I needed in the moments that I needed to create the safety that makes those parts of me go, well, I don't feel unsafe enough to have panic attacks anymore. And then now it's, now I can go through an entire day where, yeah, I still have moments. I still have moments where I feel this is, this is not me at my best and I struggle. And in those moments, I sometimes just sit with it and I'll go, okay, this is, this is my current reality and that's okay. I'm allowed to feel this way. It's okay that I feel this way. I don't need to punish myself for feeling this way because it's a punishment that then amplifies it and enables it and keeps it going. So if you can drop the punishment and move into acceptance, then that softens it a little bit. But then if I can go a couple of days where I feel like a normal human being and I'm productive and it's like, wow, I haven't necessarily reached that space where I'm sitting in a space of happiness and love and joy and rainbows and daisies, but my new normal is to feel balanced. I'm not up. I'm not down. I'm not swinging on a pendulum going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. I kind of sit in this space of, it's almost like contentment and simplicity and authenticity as well, too, to be able to acknowledge our feelings in the moment, whatever they may be. Let me ask you a question. What does acceptance look like for you? For me, it's not punishing myself. That was a really big, big thing. That was a massive piece to my puzzle. As I remember, because uh, I was creating a lot of people around me that were punishing me all the time. And I had someone staying here and she was punishing me a lot for things that I didn't even do. And one day I was walking going, why is she punishing me with all the bloody time? Like, I cannot spend my life with a human being punishing me all the time. It happens all the time. People constantly punish me. And then I just had this download drop into my head and I heard, when you stop punishing you, they will stop punishing you. 
And I stopped and I just went, oh my God, I'm, I'm punishing myself. That's what's keeping all of this going. That's what's keeping all of this feeling going. That's what's keeping everything going. I am punishing myself constantly just for existing because that was my, that was my upbringing. That was my pattern. That was my experience. My normal was to punish myself just for breathing. And so when I stopped that, when I looked and I went, okay, I don't, I never have to punish myself again for breathing. And then yep. that, that's, that for me is, was where the acceptance came in. Thank you for that, Kaylee. Hey, that's a, a very profound answer because acceptance is different for everybody. For me, acceptance would be accepting that the world I'm living in now is that world without the physical presence of my daughter and choosing to make my mark in spite of those circumstances. But, but you're right. I mean, acceptance looks, well, it does look different for everybody. And, and thank you again for sharing that perspective. Um, one of the, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Love Creates Freedom. That is your organization. That is your uh, initiative. What is Love Creates Freedom? Who do you serve? What types of individuals come to see you? What do you, what challenges do you help them work through? And how do you do, and how do you help them work through that? Love Creates Freedom is a weird evolution of very, of a lot of different channels. So I've got the podcast and the podcast came out from me being so deep in the mud and I couldn't see a way out. And I also couldn't afford coaching. So I called on that extraordinarily resourceful part of me and went, well, if I can't afford coaching, how can I get help? And then I heard, why don't you start a podcast? I'd already had an online TV show previously. Uh, and so that, that is that, that, that podcast is me in my journey. When I'm asking the questions, I'm asking it because I'm in it. I'm not asking it from the perspective of I've already been through it and now I'm asking for other people. I'm asking for me. That entire mm -hmm. podcast was created for me and it has helped me through my trauma. It's helped me through my eating disorder. It's helped me through some of my money beliefs. Um, and then the website, <clears throat> the website is evolving at the moment. I, um, like I said in the beginning, I still don't necessarily know why I'm here. I still don't necessarily know what my purpose is. So what I do know <laughs> is that my journey and sharing my story helps support people through theirs. It helps validate theirs. It helps them find compassion. It helps them find permission. And that was the biggest thing for me with the podcast was finding that permission to be something other than what I was being. And to me, that, that is what Love Creates Freedom is becoming, is I'm sharing me to give other people permission to be something other than who they are. Because sometimes we feel like we have to be who we are because that's how we were raised and we don't think we can be any other way. But when you hear someone has evolved and changed through challenges, through their own personal hell, then all of a sudden it allows us to change. And I, I support people, I support people really who are ready for that change, who have ultimately gone through every avenue that they can, they can think of 
but they are still where they are because my journey hasn't been easy and the things that I've had to face have been the deepest, darkest aspects of myself. And I really support people that are willing to do that because on the other side is like, it is better. It is better on the other side. And while I might not be sitting in a complete space of love and happiness, there are moments in my life where I feel joy and I feel good. And it's like, wow, this is so much better than where I was. And even the contentment and the balance is so much better than the darkness. And so where I am now, it is helping people with permission to be other, something other than who they are and finding that compassion and finding that acceptance to find contentment. And I think the biggest gift you can give them besides just some, some basic tools that they can utilize to, 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 and their continued growth is the gift of the experience of who you are and allowing yourself to be a mirror so that other people can, can learn from you and say, okay, it, it validates who I was and it also now validates who I want to become. And I think in the line of service, the biggest gift we can give is the gifts of ourselves and our own experiences. So we've covered, boy, a lot of ground. We've covered, <laughs> we've covered addiction. We've covered eating disorders. We've covered death. We've covered grief. Um, we've covered a, a plethora of your own experiences. So in summary, what are one or two takeaways from your life path that you can share with our listeners that can help them in their continued growth and development and help them get, get work through life-altering challenge? I mean, if people think they're ready, find someone that is willing to sit in the darkness with you, that's willing to take you from where you are to where you want to be. Because when you when when you go through when you go through the journey with someone that has been in the darkness, they ha they know the way out. I had someone uh, on a podcast ask me if I'd ever do if I'd ever do counseling or therapy again with a psychologist, and I said I probably wouldn't. She said, "Why not?" I said, "Well, because most of the ones I've experienced have never actually been through what I've been through. They're sitting from their ivory tower trying to give me a way out, but they don't know where I've been." And I sit and look at them and go, but that doesn't, like, I can't, you don't understand. That, that's been my constant thing when I've searched for help. You don't understand. So I think the biggest thing I can say for anyone that's trying to find their way out is find someone that understands. And, and find someone who's willing to be a companion to your worst darkness. Yes. Um, and, and allow your story to be significant by just witnessing it and companioning it. Yes. But find someone that's willing to walk with you as opposed to sit with you because it's really easy yep. to find someone that gets you talking about your stuff and then in two or three or four sessions later, you're still talking about your stuff. You're still in that same space. Um, I, I know within four sessions whether I can work with someone or not. If I haven't moved from where I was from when I started, I know I can't work with that person because they're not helping me move. And so if you're, if you're still talking about the same stuff four weeks later, you're not, you're not on, you're not on the right path. You're still sitting in the mud. You want someone that will companion you, but will keep you moving, not sit in the mud with you and let you wallow. Cause that is not going to help you get anywhere. It's just going to keep you in the mud. Absolutely. There has to be forward movement. 
always. So with that, my last question, and I could talk to you probably for another two hours. And <laughs> we, might have, we might have to do we might have to do a return engagement, Kelly. Um, but anyway, how can our listeners contact you? Find out more about your services. What's the best way to do that? Uh, the easiest way is to go to lovecreatesfreedom.com uh, or the alternative is to find me on Facebook, which is under Love Creates Freedom and also YouTube, Love Creates Freedom. It's all Love Creates Freedom. <laughs> it's all about love. And if we can, we can lead with that quality, the world that I've said will be a better place. So, But anyway, with that, Kaylee, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, it was a pleasure. I hope we can do this again very soon. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. And with that, that is another wrap on another episode of the Teaching Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Dave Roberts, wishing you peace. Thank you for listening to this episode. And please remember to share this podcast with your family, friends, and colleagues. And don't forget to leave a rating review or both.